We're in a series entitled Hope in the Darkness where we're learning how to really make progress even as we process the difficult seasons of life. How many of you know that, uh, that Jesus has brought us hope for a better tomorrow? Amen, everybody? And uh, even when we feel hopeless, there's always hope that the best is yet to come. But what do you do when life doesn't go the way you had planned for it to go? How many of you have experienced some adversity in life? You wake up in the morning, you pour a bowl of cereal, and someone drank up all the milk. Come on, how I many you know that's tough? You have to put some water on that, you know? It's like, what's up with that? Uh, maybe you're all jacked up uh, as a Texans fan. Any Texans fans in the house today? Yeah. You were so fired up, you just knew this was the year. Super Bowl was the year. You got a tattoo. Yeah, and, and then you wake up and you realize, we ain't even making the playoffs, bro. Tough, tough times in life. How about when the Wi-Fi goes out when you're, you're binge watching one of your favorite Netflix shows? It's like the world is ending, right? First world problems, right? Of course I'm not talking about that kind of pain. Things come to us, adversity comes to us that's much more painful than that. Where it goes deep and it begins to really almost put a, a chokehold on the hope that we have in our heart that things could even get better. What do we do in those Moments. You see, pain, suffering, and adversity are all a part of the human experience, and none of us are immune to it. None of us are. It comes to us all. But in the midst of the adversity, we can learn how to maintain a positive, hopeful, faith-filled attitude. If we can do that, we can be sure that God is going to work everything out for our good. Turn it all around for us. How many of you are glad that God can bring us hope in the midst of our darkness today? Amen, everybody? I'm not sure if you have sermon notes, but if you'd like to pull those out, maybe a notepad. I'm going to give you some good truth today from God's Word and uh, believe it's going to help us. Let's look here at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You can turn over there. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time for an attitude check, all right? It's time for an attitude check. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Paul's writing... This is what he says. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He says, and we know. Say that with me this morning. We know that in all things. He's saying in every situation, God is going to work for the good. It may not look good, but God's going to turn it into Something good. That's the kind of hope that we can have when we begin to truly believe God and take Him at His word. You see, hope's kind of one of those things that people throw around, that word they throw around all the time. But there's really three types of hope. This is not in your notes, but there's three types of hope. One of the types of hope that most people use, and it's the most shallow form of, of it all, it's a wishful type of hope. Like, I, I, I hope my team wins. I hope that light turns green. I Hope, it's really just wishing. It's not hope, it's just wishing. I hope I get a man. Come on, somebody, you try to... Because I don't want to be lonely at FarmersOnly.com. I hear you out there. I hope I get a, a, a good God-fearing woman. You're hoping, you're wishing. You're not basing that on anything. It's just a wish. But then there's another kind. It's an expectant type of hope. If you've planted seeds in the ground, maybe tomato seeds, you can then have an expectant kind of hope that's based on some fact that says, 
Hey, I hope I have tomatoes. I hope that comes forth. If a lady's pregnant, she's carrying a child on the inside of her, she's expecting. You've, you've heard people say they're expecting. That's an expectant hope. It, it hasn't come to pass yet, and it's not a for sure, for sure thing, but there's a pretty good chance that this is going to happen. I'm expecting something, but then there is a certain hope. That's the third type of hope that we can live with, and this is when you are absolutely certain that something's going to happen. Like the sun's going to come up in the morning. Like there's no doubt about it that I, I am certain. And that's the kind of hope that Paul is referring to here. That it's a knowing. That word in the Greek language means to be, to, to perceive, to, to be absolutely certain of. And Paul's saying we may not like what we see on the outside. And we may not be able to see the answer that we've been praying and believing God for right now here in front of us. But I am certain and I know that God is at work behind the scenes of my life. He's orchestrating things in my favor. And if I hold on to that hope, then I'll see the miracle that I'm believing for come to pass. This is the kind of hope. It reminds me of what Jeremiah the prophet wrote in Jeremiah 29, 11, a verse that many of us have heard. Maybe you've seen this before. It says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It's a, it's a knowing. I, I know God is at work. There, there, this may not be what I want it to be, but even when life is hard, I can trust and believe that my God is good. And somehow if I hold on to hope, he's going to turn this thing around. But it all comes back to our attitude, how we respond in times of adversity and hardship and heartache and pain. When things don't go our way, I'm reminded of this a story that I heard about a king in Africa that was, uh, he had a close friend and he, they'd like to go, you know, do things together. They'd grown up together and this friend took him on hunts. He was his guide. And, uh, on one of, and, and his friend had this remarkable way of responding to everything by saying, this is good. This is good. He was just kind of known for being a positive guy. One day they were out hunting and uh, the friend was preparing the gun for the king. Something went wrong. And somehow the king, the gun backfired, and the king, his thumb, he lost his thumb. Come on, how I many? That's a bad day, all right? That is a bad day. And um, his friend said, oh, This is good. <laughs> and the king's like, No, bro, this ain't good at all. As a matter of fact, we're not friends anymore. I unfriend you, and uh, I'm putting you in jail. Put his friend in jail. And um, locked him up there. About a year later, the king's out hunting again in an area he wasn't supposed to be in. It was very dangerous. There were cannibals in the area. And uh, somehow, some way, these cannibals captured the king. And they took him back to their camp. And they got the barbecue pit going. You can see where this is about to go. And, and, and all this is going on. But, but they noticed that the king is missing a thumb. And they were very superstitious people. And they say, they can, we, cannot, we cannot eat anything or anyone where they, they have like, they're not whole. They're, they're missing something. So they released the king and sent him on his way. So as he returned home, he remembered his friend that he had locked up, you know, and he was like, man, this is, what kind of friend am I? I put my friend in jail for blowing off my thumb. So he went to see his friend. He said, hey, I'm so sorry I did that. I should have been a better friend for you, to you. I can't believe I've left you in here this long. And it was bad for me to do that to you. And, no, and the friend said, no, it was good. He said, this is good. He said, what do you mean? How could that be good that you're in jail? And his friend replied, had I not been in jail, I would have been with you. Come on. And... <laughs> 
Come on, we got to look at everything the right way. There's a different perspective that we have to have. And they say that life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you respond to it. So if you can learn to have an attitude of hope, a hope-filled attitude, then anything that comes your way, you can overcome it. So the principle I want you to learn today is that your attitude will affect your actions, which will ultimately determine your outcome. Your attitude will always affect how you act, and your actions will yield and bring forth an outcome in your life. So it's so easy for us when we're facing difficulty to get upset, to get angry, to get negative, to throw in the towel, to even walk away from God and say, well, I guess that thing doesn't work and it just doesn't work for me. Well, today we're going to learn some truths from King David on how to have hope in the face of hardships. And let's look at First Chronicles chapter number 14. David, hero in the Bible, this is what he's facing here in this moment of adversity. It says, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went out to search for David. But David heard of it, and he went out against them. So now the Philistines had come and made a raid in the valley of Rephaim, and David inquired of God, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to him, Go up, and I will give them into your hand. And he went up to Baal-perazim, and David struck them down there. And David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a bursting flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal-perazim. And they left their gods there, and David gave command, and they were burned. And verse 13 says, And the Philistines yet again made a raid in the valley. And when David again inquired of God, God said to him, You shall not go up after them. But go around and come up against the, them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then go out to battle. For God has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as God commanded him. And they struck down the Philistine army from Gibeon to Gezer. And the fame of David went out into all lands and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. David's known as a man after God's own heart. He is a powerful figure, hero, in the scriptures. Here he's just been anointed king. He had had a portion of the kingdom where he had been anointed earlier, but now he had been anointed yet a second time. And now the entire kingdom of Israel was under his Command. Come on, it was his payday, everybody. I mean, it was like the signing bonus. I mean, he would sign. It was a big day in his life. But yet on the big day when he's supposed to be celebrating, he finds out that an old enemy is out after him again, is attacking him. How many of you have ever been in a moment in your life where you feel like everything's going pretty good and out of nowhere, here comes an attack from the enemy? It's like you didn't plan for it to happen. It's like, God, wait, time out. This is not what's supposed to be happening right now. And it's so easy to just get angry, to get bitter at God, to start blaming others around you. But here David starts having the right attitude. And he starts showing us some things. One of the things he shows us is that obedience brings opposition. Obedience brings opposition. David was doing exactly what he was supposed to do. 
He was at the right place at the right time doing the right thing, but the wrong showed up. Come on, how many of you, I just described your life in some way or form or fashion. It's like I was doing right and, and, and I thought things were going better, but we are tempted to believe this lie that when we are doing right, then wrong things won't happen. But I've learned that it is in the moment when I am obeying God, where I am in his perfect plan for my life, just like David was a threat to the Philistines, you and I and our obedience to God is a threat to the enemy. And he's saying, if I can stop them here and if I can stop them now, it's going to keep them from bringing me the pain that we can bring into the enemy's life when we're walking by faith and we're fulfilling our purpose. So he said, if I could stop him. See, the Philistines, I don't know if they knew, but they, they, they didn't, couldn't see into the future. But David had been a mighty warrior. He had defeated their hero, Goliath. And they're like, if this guy gets established, if he gets there, then there's something that, that, that he's going to bring pain to us. He's going to take our territory. And we go on to learn that David was the most powerful king that had ever served in the kingdom of Israel. And then in his time where Na- the, Israel, uh, the nation of Israel was such a small, little, weak place by the end of his reign, it was one of the most powerful forces on the earth. Had taken more territory and grown than at any other time in its history. And here's what I want to declare over your life. Is that the enemies are coming against you because he understands that God has new territory for you to take. New places of blessing that he has in store for your life. So don't be discouraged. Don't get mad at God. The opposition is simply following your obedience. So stay faithful to God. You see, the enemy will come, and as the prophet Isaiah said, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Make no mistake about it, a weapon will be formed, but how many of you know it does not have to succeed and take you down and take you out? Because greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world. So there's this opposition that's coming his way. And I believe that what the enemy really is designed to eliminate you, I believe that God's going to use that very thing to elevate you. This thing that David went through in this moment, that the fame of David, after his obedience and after the victory was brought into his life, the enemy feared him. And he became famous in all that region. And I believe God's going to set you up in a new way. That God's bringing some things to pass in your life. If you'll understand that your obedience brings opposition. We also see in David's life that every battle, it brings breakthrough. So battles precede breakthrough. Battles precede breakthrough. There can be no breakthrough without a fight, without a battle. Without a battle. That's why we are called to fight the good fight of faith. It's a fight. But we have to keep our attitude right in the midst of the fight. We can't get angry. We can't get discouraged. We cannot allow ourselves to be overwhelmed in the midst of the trouble. Because God is with us. And, and we have something on the other side of this. It's called a breakthrough. You could call it a miracle. You could call it an answer to prayer. That can be ours if we won't give up. And if we won't run from the battle. So if you're in a battle today and you're on the verge of losing hope, be encouraged. I believe your breakthrough and your miracle is right around the corner. You're one day closer to your breakthrough today. I'm going to say that until someone gets it on the inside of them. You are one day closer to your breakthrough today. Dreams being fulfilled. Prayers answered. 
in your life. And know this, the bigger the battle, the bigger the breakthrough. The bigger the battle, the bigger the breakthrough. You see, David made a decision that he wasn't going to allow his attitude to be defined by his circumstances, but rather he defined his circumstances by his attitude. He started looking. It's all about perspective. He could have gotten all upset. He could have started feeling sorry for himself, having a pity party. God, I'm the king. Why me? Why now? He could have got depressed, locked himself up in a room and ate a whole half gallon of Bluebell ice cream. Just got on Netflix for four solid days and just, you know, I'm not coming out. Leave me alone. But no, he he started taking steps in the right direction. He kept his perspective right. He he started looking at things right. Some of you are here today and you've you've done some things differently. Like, God, I, I, I started coming to church. I read my Bible. I gave in the offering. And you're over here doing all these things that you think are right. And you're thinking that God now owes you to make everything perfect in your life. Wave a little magic wand over your life and bring in unicorns, fairies, and rainbows. Come on, Jesus never promised us a life without trouble. He promises us victory over life's trouble. So where's your attitude taking you today? Your attitude. David said, man, I look at this. I mean, we're not, we're not ready to fight the Philistines. The Philistines had better armor. They were outnumbered. They were outmatched. I mean, have you ever felt like that in life? Like, I can't do this. I, I, this, this enemy that's in front of me, it, it's too big. I don't know how I'm going to get around this. My kids are acting crazy. My spouse is acting crazy. Financially, we're in a mess. I don't understand. The doctor's telling me this. I don't like this report. It all seems too big. Let me remind you that the God on the inside of you is greater than the enemy that stands before you. He's bigger. He's bigger. He's greater. So they begin to, he, he inquires of the Lord, he does some things. But the, after the battle's been fought, notice this, that the place that he had originally called this valley was called a place of Raphaim, which means the valley of trouble, the valley of giants. After the battle had been won, he renames the place Baal Perezim, which means the God of the breakthrough or God of victory has showed up. Here's what I'm declaring over your life, that the valley of trouble that you've been in, that as you keep the right attitude of faith and of hope, that that valley of trouble, God's going to rename it into a valley of breakthrough. The very thing that the enemy wanted to take you out with, God is going to turn it around and he's going to bless you. So the marriage that was about to fall apart now becomes a testimony of a marriage that's been brought back together and they're closer than you've ever been. And you can't keep your hands off of each other. Love, kind of love. That those that have been addicted and thought you can't break the cycle and you can't get free and you'll never get out of this cycle that you're in. That that place, after God shows up, you now become a story of God's grace, a trophy of God's grace. And look, I have found freedom. Look what God has done in me. It's all about your attitude. And your attitude will be the determining factor in whether or not you experience God's best or not. Let me give you five things quickly today that I believe are going to encourage you. Things that you and I can do. As we see in the life of David, that's going to take us from the valley of trouble into a valley 
of victory if we will hold on to hope. How do we hold on to hope? Number one, we begin to actively seek God's direction. Notice in verse number 10, it says that David inquired of God. He prayed. How do we inquire of God? It's times of prayer with God. Where we're seeking God's wisdom. We're coming to God and we're inquiring of God. He got tight with God. And the closer you get to God, the closer you get to your breakthrough. The closer you get to God, the closer you get to your miracle. You see, victory is not going to come because of your intellect and your strength and your cuteness and any of that. It's going to come through the power of God. Zechariah 4, 6 tells us it's not by might, nor it's by power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. If you're going to have hope and overcome, you're going to have to have the mind of God. You're going to have to have the wisdom of God because God's strategies for success are way better than ours. And know this, God will ask you to do things in this strategy that he's bringing for you to win the battle that are totally counterintuitive to what you would normally do. I mean, it just doesn't even begin to make sense sometimes. You want to go left and God says go right. You want to run and God says, no, you're going to stay. You want to you even fight and come back at somebody and defend yourself? And God says, hold your peace. Let me fight your battles for you. You're going to get out of financial trouble and have hope for that? God, you want me to give? I'm supposed to give 10% of what I have? And you're going to bless the 90% and make it go further than it could go on its own? Yeah, that's kind of what God is saying. But how many of you know that doesn't make nat- that sense in our mind? God, you want me to forgive that person that's hurt me? I want to hurt them. Come on. I will pray for them. Pray that they get diarrhea, (laughs) hemorrhoids at the same time. Do it, Lord. I mean, (laughs) no, we don't forgive for their benefit. We forgive for our own so that we don't we get free from that toxic bitterness that can devastate our life. And keep us from experiencing God's best. So you got to get God's direction. God, what do you want me to do? But most of us, we don't go to God really inquiring of him. We ask God to endorse what we've already decided to do. We don't want his advisement. We want his endorsement. Like, God, you know I bought that car. And it smelled good on the inside. I didn't ask you if I could get it first. But I went ahead and signed the line. I was moving in faith. God, I can't pay for it, and you know it. Can you show up? I've seen single people get into relationships that God did not, he did not ordain, wasn't in his will. And then they ask God to bless the relationship after they found out that he's crazy or that she crazy. She fine, but she crazy. God said, don't ask me to sign off on something that I didn't start writing. Got to inquire of God. You've got to get the mind of God. You see, God doesn't want to just give to you. He wants to guide you. In Psalm 32, it says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. How many of you are glad God's got the best pathway for us? He knows the best pathway for your life. That's where our hope must be. And if you really have that attitude, then you'll be willing to do whatever God tells you to do. God, I I, I, I can't figure this out. I don't know, Pastor, I don't know. How's this going to work? Proverbs 3 tells us that we just trust in the Lord from the bottom of our heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. But listen for God's voice in everything that you do and everywhere that you go. He's the one that's going to keep you on track. 
And it's tough to trust God. Sometimes when you, when you can't see him and you're wondering why he isn't doing more to help you. But if you'll just hold on to hope, if you'll just keep your attitude right and keep seeking him, he'll start showing you what to do. The second thing is we have to diligently obey God's commands. In verse number 16, it says, and David did as God commanded him. You see, David was a strong leader, and we admire his courage. We admire his bravery. I mean, he's so bold as a teenage boy when he fought the bear and the, and the lion as he was protecting his father's sheep. We're like, man, that dude is a beast. And then he goes up against Goliath. I mean, this monster of a man that was challenging and defying the armies of God. Everybody say, oh, he's so brave. I don't know if he was so brave or he just heard that he could win the king's daughter's hand in marriage. I mean... Teenage boys, you're like, man, I get to marry her? Come on, man, give me a rock. I will cut that dude's head off today. So he was impulsive in a sense. He was an emotional leader. One time, he went to get the Ark of the Covenant out of a man's house that was keeping it because the enemy had stolen the Ark of the Covenant, a piece of furniture that belonged to God and his people. And this is where the very presence of God would sit and rest. And he went and he wanted to get this back, but he, he didn't ask God how to do it. He started asking everybody else. And they said, well, just do what the Philistines did when they took it away. Put it on a cart and bring it back in. Well, he did that. And a priest reached up to touch the ark, the piece of furniture. It was about to fall off the, the cart. And what happened? That man died. You see, his impulsive decisions brought destruction. How many of you ever had that happen in your life? Some of you are living life like that. You've got good intentions but you're not inquiring of God and obeying what God says, and it's having devastating consequences in your life. You're wondering why things are dying around you because you're living according to the world's wisdom. You're asking Aunt Pookie and all them what they think about it. Tia, you know, your grandmother, your mama, and all, I mean, everybody online. I mean, but listen, how many of you are glad God's got the right instructions if we will follow them? So he began to obey. He said, I got to adjust my, my approach. And God's asking some of you to, uh, to change yours. You're saying, I'm waiting on God. God's waiting on you. God's waiting on you to obey what he told you to do last. And to begin to act in faith. And that's when he starts doing some cool things in your life. Romans 12, 2 tells us that God wants to transform us. He, how does he do that? He gives us new habits. Habits are what keep you going when the inspiration it wears out and it wears off. Habits. For some of you, God's saying, I need you, to, I need you to get a habit of prayer. Others, I need you to be faithful to God's house. I know the kids have sports and things and all that going on, and I'm preaching to the choir right now because you're here. But be faithful to God's house. There, there's a habit there. and There's something that happens here that you can't get watching online. Now, if you're watching online, don't cut me off. But what I'm saying <laughs> is that something happens when you're together. It's supernatural. It's a spiritual thing. He's asking you to start being a faithful giver and support the ministry of this church with your tithes and offerings. He's asking you for, to, to establish faithful obedience to what he has called you to do, to serve others, to get in a small group, all these things. And, and if we start embracing those things and obey what God's telling us, we'll see good things come to pass. And here's the best part of it all. Philippians 2, it tells us that God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. You just keep getting close with God, you'll have new desires and you'll have a new power. Willpower is good, but how many of you, how many of you know that God's power is a lot better? He'll keep you going. 
The third thing we need to do is we got to patiently wait for God's timing. Sometimes in the middle of the battle, when things aren't going the way we want, we want to give up. We want to throw in the towel. We want things as fast as we can get them. But if we give up, Hebrews 6 says that, that, that we'll miss out on what God has promised us. It says, be faithful and, and stay the course with the committed faith. That i got to trust God in this time. It takes faithful consistency in order to reap the rewards that God has for us. To have hope. But we don't want, we don't want to wait. Come on, how many of you like waiting for anything? I don't like waiting for anything. We want it right here, right now. We want instant results. We want microwave results, but we serve a crockpot God. Amen, everybody? We serve a God. He working, and if we'll just wait, it's always going to be a little bit better. We get inspired, and we want it right then. You ever heard, how many of you went to the gym at the first of the year? You know, it's the busiest time. You ain't going no more. You got the clothes, man. You looking good. You looking fresh, man. You looking, you walk right out of a Nike, you know, Nike, you know, advertisement. You're like, I am here. taking selfies, posting it on social media, because if you don't post it, it didn't happen, right? So you want everybody to know, but you ain't doing nothing. You ain't even sweating. It's when inspiration meets perspiration. That's when you start finding out if this thing's legit or not. If you keep getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning after, you know, after a few weeks and after some time, you see God's looking for people that will stay the course and trust him even when it doesn't happen when they want it to when it's hard when you can when it when you getting sweaty and and man you're trying you're praying you're serving but it didn't happen yet God's looking for people that will not give up throw in the towel James chapter 1 tells us that we ought to consider it a gift when we are going through tests and challenges that are coming from all sides it can come from all different directions am I right he says that's when you know you're under pressure that your faith life is forced out into the open and it shows its true colors I mean, are you, people say, I'm about it. You know, I'm about Jesus. I'm, the, I'm about this church. But what, what about when times aren't going really well? When God isn't answering your prayer on your timetable. Come on, how many of you know we can keep the right attitude and keep hope alive? Amen on the inside of us. Fourth thing, fully rely on God's strength. None of this would have happened had David tried to do it in his own strength. He was outnumbered. He was overmatched. But I love what he said in Psalm 18. He says, you armed me with strength for the battle. God, you gave me strength to fight this fight. God, you're the one that's going to help me win this thing. You know how you're going to get through the attack that you're facing today? The difficulty? There's only one way, God's strength. God's power. You need him more now than you've ever needed before. Don't run from God. Run to God in your time of weakness and trouble. He's the one that's going to give you, get you through. Isaiah 40 tells us that he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Come on, do you feel weak today? You are a perfect candidate to be filled with the strength of Almighty God. That God can fill you with your, his strength. He says, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their Strength. I'm keeping my hope in God. It's a dark time, but I know God's coming. He's going to burst through. He's going to come out. He's going to make a difference in my life. So we've got a powerful God. Some of you, you're fighting today. You're fighting for your marriage. Hey, keep fighting. Some of you are fighting for the salvation of your children. Keep fighting. Some of you are fighting for your physical body and you're trying to get healing. Keep fighting. 
Some of you are fighting for your financial future. Hey, don't give up. Keep fighting. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. I'm telling you, God's about to lift you today. God's about to elevate you. God's about to pour out his favor on your life. Have hope. Let me give you a scripture that I remind myself often of. In Isaiah 41, verse 10, it says, Don't be afraid. For I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. How many of you are grateful for a God that wants to help us? He says, I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. God brings victory into our lives. So what do we do while we're waiting? Number number five is just joyfully expect God's deliverance. So as I'm waiting, I'm going to have joy. As I'm waiting, I'm not going to walk around looking sad and busted and disgusted. One of them angry Christians. I'm not going to show up to my dream team huddle, complaining about everything that ain't going right in my life. Oh, I may have a friend or two that I'm able to share those things with so I got, they can pray for me and I can pray for them. But man, I, I'm, I'm going to have a joy-filled attitude. Because if all I had was Jesus, come on, how many of you know that is all that we need? That's all. But he doesn't want to just save us. He wants to bless us. He wants to pour out his favor in our life. So we just trust him. And we joyfully expect him to show up. We joyfully await that. As David, you know, he, he went out and he fought him one time. And the enemy came back again. Sometimes we got to go fight it one more time. We got to face it one more time. But he knew he had a great God. A God that would show up time and time and time again. Some of you may be doubting in the reality of who Jesus is. That God loves you. You wonder, does God even love me? I can't point to a better picture of the love of God and the hope that we have in Him than at the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. Where God sent His Son Jesus in the form of a baby. And he grew up sinless, never did one thing wrong, tempted in every way that you and I could ever be tempted. He was rejected. He was hated. He was lied about. He was abused. And in all of this, he did nothing wrong. Yet he took the the punishment of your sin on himself, the sin of the world. And as they beat him and they brought that cat of nine tails out and they whipped him, Stripes that he bore for the healing of who we are on every part of us that hurts that could be healed. As he shed every drop of blood on that cross. The Bible said for the joy set before him, he endured all of that. What was that joy? He just knew how great it was going to feel when you became a part of his family. When you said yes to him. He went through something hard for you. He went through something difficult for you. He went through a dark time so that you can have hope in your dark times. So every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're here today. And you're not sure if you have this kind of relationship with God that I'm talking about. Please do not misunderstand what I'm saying is asking you to join this church or embrace religion or be a perfect person. Because none of us could be perfect. None of us could ever get it all together. What I'm asking you is if you would be willing to open up the door of your heart to Jesus today. Because the scripture says he stands at the door of every man and woman's heart and he knocks. 
And he's asking, will you let me come in? Religion says clean up your life first and then invite him in. Jesus said, hey, let me come in and help you clean all that up. Let me heal what's been broken, what sin has done to you, how you've been treated in this life. Let me forgive you. Let me take away your guilt and your shame. Let me give you hope for a better tomorrow, that the best is yet to come. It begins by saying yes to Jesus. Some of you, you've never done that. You've never done that. You know about God. You might have come to church. You might have been drugged here today by a friend or a family member, but it's no accident that you're here. For others, you've said yes to Christ before, but you know today that something's not right on the inside, that you're not where you need to be with God. Maybe some old habits have come in, maybe in your discouragement of life and things haven't worked out the way you had hoped. You turn to some things that you used to do to find hope and to try to find help in a different way. And you feel like you're far from God today. Today is your day for a fresh start, for a new beginning. If you're in either group of people, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front. simply want to pray with you right at your seat. And here's some good news. Jesus has not turned one person away yet. You'll not be the first. So if you're here and you say, Josh, pray for me. I'm not going to ask you to stand or come to the front. I simply want to know who I'm praying for. And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand up high so I can know who I'm praying with and for this morning. If that's you, count of three, shoot that hand up high. One, two, three, all over this place. Just shoot it up real high. God bless you. Keep it up where I can see it. God bless you in there. You there. God bless you. God bless you there and there. Anyone else? God bless you over here. The best decision you'll ever make, saying yes to Jesus. He loves you. So many hands. Thank God for you. Thank God. Now, if you would, place your hand on your heart. and Church family, let's all pray this together. Say this with me out loud, if you would. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving me, for sending Jesus, your only son, to die for me. I believe he rose from the dead. Jesus Christ, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want you in control. And I thank you, God, that you chose me to be a part of your family. I am saved. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a good hand clap and celebrate.